Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. You're listening to Brainwaves on 3CR Community Radio and I'm your host, Nerida Lennon. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which 3CR resides, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, where sovereignty has never been ceded and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. In today's episode, we're diving into part two of a two-part series featuring a panel event hosted by Melbourne University's Contemplative Study Centre. Panellists discuss how various contemplative traditions interpret mental health, as well as the significance of contemplative practices and spirituality in fostering emotional well-being. This episode contains themes that may cause distress for listeners relating to suicide. Please do what's best for you and tune out if you need to. If you do need support after the show, please reach out to Suicide Victoria by calling 1300 651 251. Okay, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome. Thanks for coming along on this beautiful day and taking the time to come indoors uh, for this latest instalment, I suppose, in the Contemplation Conversation series. Today's event is called Mindful Traditions Exploring Mental Health Through Contemplative Practices, and it's hosted by the Contemplative Studies Centre here at the University of Melbourne. I'm Paul Barclay, broadcaster and journalist, and it's a Terrific pleasure to be here. We are joined by a wonderful panel of speakers today, and let me introduce them to you. On my left is Jess Hewan, a meditation teacher in the Insight tradition. Jess has trained in traditional Buddhist monastic settings in interfaith contexts of meditative inquiry and uh, also within long periods of solitary forest practice. Uh, While deeply informed but not bound by tradition, her style is very much grounded in contemporary life. Next to Jess, we have Sara Sabah, founding director and president of Benevolence Australia. Sara has been active in the field of youth and community work in Melbourne for over 25 years. And Benevolence is a grassroots community organisation that sees itself as part of the global scholarly and spiritual revival, aiming to reclaim the narrative on Islam, which I think is particularly important at the moment, and conscious ethical living in the modern world. Welcome to Sarah. And on the end of the panel, I said I was just going to introduce you just as Sunan, but perhaps I should give you your, your full title of Venerable Bon Hayon I hope I've got that right. Did I, did I bugger that up? Uh, um, it's close enough. Okay. Sunam is a chaplain That's and. That's why I say just call me Sunam. Yes, yes. Uh, a, a chaplain and uh, doctoral research candidate at Western Sydney University, a past chair of the Australian Sangha Association and Buddhist member of the Religious Advisory Committee 
to the Australian Defence Forces uh, and has long been active in chaplaincy and spiritual care, having managed the prison chaplaincy program and established the spiritual pastoral care program for the Buddhist Council of Australia. Uh, you know, modern life is crazy. We are, we, we, are li we are living insane lives. And I say that as someone who's just come off the back of a 40 plus year career as a journalist, deadlines, madness, all of that. And I think I'm only now realizing having the freedom of no longer being stuck in that world of how bonkers it was, how stressful it was. But, but so many people are stuck in that world. They've got to pay the bills. They've got to afford the housing. They've got to pay off the hex debt. They're, they're kind of, but what they also want is the, the benefit of your wisdom, the suggestions of the technique. I, I suppose my question here is, are too many people just looking for a quick fix? Mm -hmm. um, do you think? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> bit, yes. Of a, bit of Dorothy Dixon, that was isn't my that first question? Point. Yeah, that yeah, was my yeah. first point. Uh, yes, I think we want things really quick and I think we want answers bottled quickly. And I think there is something like in a meditation practice, it can sort of sound a bit wanky, I don't know, but it's, we're exploring something that we may have never experienced before that's part of our human experience. So quickly we limit what we can experience or perceive. But in a meditation practice, we are, like, it, well, first it just takes time. Like, we, when we're on, when we're stressed, stress feeds stress. Like, if, if when I'm more stressed, that's when I want a coffee, that's when it speeds up, and then I'm like, Ugh. Yep. It's like to cut that cycle, to get disenchanted, with living under that kind of stress, you have to have some chutzpah, you have to have some energy to say, no, I, I want a deeper experience of life. Mm. You know, I don't just want to be, uh, 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 uh. I, I want to feel my existence while I'm here. Mm. And then like any pursuit, if it's an art pursuit or a journalist decree, you have to work. Mm. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah. It's like, it's okay to want something and to go for it. And sometimes in the spiritual traditions, there's a little bit like, oh, no, here we're all just easy and we just allow, and, which is an essential part of it, like learning to not be frightened of suffering, to, to soften where you want to tighten. There's all these deep things, but it's also okay to like get behind something and kind of go for it. Because mm. I think we're in a, a crisis. We're in a health crisis. Yeah. And something needs to change. Like I'm thinking Bayo Akamalafe, he's a beautiful Nigerian philosopher. The times are urgent, so let us slow down. Yeah. We're not saying everything's a contemplative practice is in full awareness that there is deep suffering, there's inequities, there's all of this, and still finding a deeper ground mm. to respond to all of this, to have mm. more creativity, more movability, less, fi less fixation, take some application. Yeah. So, um, sorry, is the change about individual change first mm. and that as each individual changes, the society changes, mm. or is it about us collectively changing society so that some of these stresses dissipate. Mm -hmm. Can we do both? Yeah, can we do both? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's just a very Western thing, with all due respect, to say, you know, as you were asking before, can we just have a bit of your tools and, uh, that we yeah. can take? Because essentially, Western practice of meditation has been taken from Buddhism, from Hinduism, mm. Right, yeah. uh, from other traditions. Interesting, it hasn't come to Islam, which is very mm. fascinating um, mm. because we, we can't talk about the practices within Islam. Islam is a way of life. Every aspect of it, and I was saying to the previous group, is an act of worship, is an act of meditation and contemplation. Mm. 
before coming into this session, I was meditating and doing my, my, my lunch, my noontime prayers. Right before coming in this morning, I was up at 4 a.m. and I liked what you said, Jess, about you need to do some effort. effort. Mm. And in the West, we don't necessarily like that kind of effort. We expect things to flow. We have this image of meditation that we just let things be. Uh, waking up at 4 a.m. wasn't letting it be. I couldn't just, I could have easily turned my alarm off and just go back to sleep. But I know this is something that I do. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't become after many years, it no longer becomes a challenge. Mm. So you need to, you know, turn that up a little bit more like any type of workout. And the, your question, do we do individual work or collective work? In the Quran, um, God says, he, God will not change a people until they change what is in themselves. So if we don't like what's happening in society, and if we don't like our leadership, leaders had to come from somewhere. They came from our community, right? And if we don't like what's happening in society, we need to look at ourselves first. But no, we don't want to do that. Mm. You know, the whole look at yourself, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Mm. But if we did the work on ourselves first, and then on our family units, and then our communities, that's going to extend. Mm. And everyone's practice and everyone's mindfulness in their own ways is going to impact the other person. We have a belief in our tradition that what I am doing here is going to impact the community in China. What people in China are doing are impacting Portugal. What people in Portugal are doing are impacting Spain. Why? Because we are one community. Before this whole we are a global community conversation started happening, we are, we are all impacting energetically each other. So when you take care of yourself, you're actually taking care of me. When I take care of me, I'm taking care of you, right? Because if I bump into you somewhere, I've tamed my inner ego and I'm not going to, you're not going to get the worst out of me. You're going to get the best out of me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's two ways. I, I feel like we talk a lot about emotional well-being and mental health in today's society generally, and there's a lot of professional, say, clinical practice devoted to it. There's a lot of university courses mm -hmm. devoted to it. I wonder how much of the type of wisdom that the three of you have imparted from your different faith traditions today has found its way into mainstream health around mental health. Uh, do, are we seeing some of this thinking influencing mental health practice at a, at a public health level, Sunu? Um, I think it's essential that we we work at that level. I think, um, you know, the truth is that, that the, um, the number or the percentage of people in, you know, in the world today who are, you know, who seriously take a path of meditation and stick with it and continue, you know, is, hasn't changed. The percentage hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. so, so if we're on a mission to, you know, to try and um, um, train you all in meditation into a life, lifelong path, it's not going to happen. So right now, you know, we really have to look at how we can take the, you know, the essence of, of our practices and, and, you know, use them in a way of, of giving people five-minute fixes. I honestly, you know, like I had a lot of resistance about that, but I don't honestly see that there's, you know, there's, uh, we can talk and talk and talk about you know, encouraging people to, to take the path and, you know, really develop a practice. And some will, of course, and that's wonderful. Um, but it's how we can use the wisdom um, in, our, in our individual um, faith 
practices um, to, you know, and one of the things is, you know, to help people just to stop for a minute, mm. just stop, you know, and, and kind of turn inside and go, what's going on? You know, what, what's happening? You know, that's, and because, you know, people are running around constantly, like, you know, in the university where I am, it's like, you know, they're all, I want meditation, I want, you know, but, but you know, then you offer meditation and only one person turns up or, you know, it's just like, excuse me, <laughs> you know, there's no point in getting frustrated about it and, yeah. you know, it's like, what is it that we can offer, um, and, you know, I've been doing, because my research is really around this whole area and um, at the university where I am, and I've had some amazing one hour, over one hour, one to two hour um, in-depth interviews with, with students in the 18 to 34 year, year old bracket. And they are deep thinkers. They're mm. beautiful people, you know, and they talk about their spiritual beings, you know, they, that's the spiritual it's really, really important to them. They're not interested in organised religion, but they identify as spiritual beings. They're interested in in learning about the wisdom teachings. They're interested in ritual, you know, and they, te- they talk so deeply with me. I just am so, you know, grateful for their mm. trust in that. So I, so I know that they're not, you know, what, what's the word? Flibbity gibbets. <laughs> you know, some of you older people like that expression from um, My Fair Lady, was it, or something. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, there is how do, we, how do we help them to use what's inside them already, you know, to, um, you know, to, to meet that stress and tension and fear and anxiety. But the, the, and the, I've got yeah, to... that they are feeling, particularly as, as a group, as a cohort of people growing up in a world of, of grave uncertainty, you know, you're an you're you're 18-year-old at university, how are you going to afford a place to live? Uh, how are you going to cope with climate change? You're seeing none of, you know, none of the kind of lessons that have been learnt of history about how to solve global conflicts uh, coming at them all of the time. And as you say, Sanim, uh, one of the most thoughtful generations that we've created as a society, deep thinkers, um, and not surprisingly, afflicted by emotional distress, mm. and yeah, I mean this is this is a, I mean this is a great challenge, isn't it, Jess? Mm. I mean how mm. how we use some of these contemplative practices, techniques, and so on to assist mm. a generation that. that and, and can I just yeah, say? Anyway, sorry, um, yeah. No, no, that's And fine. then maybe you can follow, Jess. I just Jess. wanted to make reference to two of our um, um, Navy friends who are here who are chaplains in defence. And, mm. and, you know, the, the way of practice with, with people is to meet them where they're at. You know, that's, that's the, you know, that's the, the, you know, you don't go in saying, I can teach you this and I can help you to do that. You go in and you help them just to, you know, to explore what's inside them. What is it, you know, that, that, that's you know that's the issue you want to address. What is what are the strengths and the you know you help them to bring out their own mm. inner resources, their own you know kind of solutions. Not and and I think that's where we have to go with these yeah. with these people. It's you know there's no stick on fixits. Mm. You know 
They're deeper than that. It's not going to yeah. work. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. Uh, Jess, any yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, I just think, I think that young people like that we do need that like an empowerment to stay resourced in these times is really is a big ask but i think that these practices really do help the buddha's maps were so intricate in terms of an internal landscapes i mean he he was he had some fire out experiences i mean there is mystery in what he was exploring yeah yet he was very rational he was almost like a man of modernity in, in how he actually articulated it so you have maps about everything that you will come against in your own mind when you mm. get quiet mm. And the more that we have more, I think as well, like that we can get more robust, like we need to get more robust and more resource to handle more complexity mm. and to handle more intensity of feelings. You know, mm. there's going to be more climate devastation. There's going to be more times more like now with what's happening right now politically, mm. where we're all kind of, it's pretty easy to feel overwhelmed mm, it is. And, and, and distressed. Mm. Yet that doesn't help. We think if we stay worried, if we stay wound up, we're really on it. Mm. But there is actually like another way where we can actually rest into our being and regenerate at the same time that we have our eyes open. We can do this. It's like we can actually handle a lot of intensity if we have the tools to be with it. But we're not a, such an emotionally mature culture to handle death well, to handle grief well. There's mm. going to be times in our life where we don't look great. That's all right. Mm. We want it all to be neat and perfect and presentable, but it's like, it's, it's, it's unruly. Mm. To me, that's okay. The gold will come from that. I, I, I wonder, Sarah, too, about the, this, this, this fast-paced, technology-driven world that we're in where there's rarely sil silence, right? You know, you, you go for a walk and you whack the headphones on, um, squeeze another podcast in or, or, or whatever, and it, there's no time for just like, no, I'm going to go for a walk. And I'm, ha, ha, how do we maintain, given those pressures, the kind of consistent contemplative practice over time that we've heard will deliver benefits. Um, had any advice about how to combat digital distractions and information overload and all of that? So I can only talk from my experience. I don't practice, you know, meditation outside of a faith, um, yep. uh, you know, background backdrop. And for me, purpose is incredibly important. We go back to that purpose the wise, even the wise, even if we're going to give tools to people that don't have a practice, there's going to be a why. Why am I doing it? Mm. How am I doing it? And from which tradition am I doing it? And the why is incredibly, what's, in, what the, what's the intention that I'm going to bring into it? So in terms of the distractions that we live in, the kind of fast-paced life that we live at, at the moment, once again, this is a Western phenomena. I come from a traditional tradition. I'm originally from Syria. Um, obviously, I've lived in Australia all my life, but coming from my spiritual tradition and my way of life of Islam, it is actually a slow-paced life. So everything is put in perspective. So for example, something really tiny. Wealth is not something that we seek after. Have your job, go ahead, mm. but we're not going to kill mm. ourselves over it. Why? Mm. Because uh, rizq, which is your sustenance, mm. not your wealth that you put in the bank, because we can die <laughs> and that money is just going to go into inheritance, right? Rizuk is what you need to survive, which is really not much. We believe it's already predestined. So what does that do? All of a sudden, oh, all right. I don't have to worry about that. God says in the Quran, I will take care of you and I will take care of your children. Don't worry about that. You go do the job. Don't sit back on your watching TV all day. Go do. You have to do the work, but you don't have to bring the anxiety with it. And that's what modern society does. It brings the anxiety, I'm the provider, I'm the protector, I'm the sustainer. 
where a Muslim mindset is, I'm not the protector, I'm not the provider, I'm not the sustainer. God is. But what I will do is I will go to my job and I'll do my very best. But I'm not going to work ridiculous hours. Why? Because what's important to me is my spouse and my children. In my case, I have a spouse and I have children. Mm -hmm. That is more important than upgrading my car and working another job to have all the comforts of this world. So my answer to that is that we need to challenge ourselves as a Western society. We, we've come to a collision on every level, yep. mental, emotional, physical, psychological, environmental. The answer is not going to be a five-minute go walk without your earpods. I believe we need a radical change, mm. and COVID clearly didn't teach us that. Two years being at home clearly didn't teach us that here in Melbourne. So I'm going to push back and say, what kind of radical change are we individually going to make that's going to be positive for ourselves and society at large? But having said that, can I just say something that we discussed? I believe our society sets us up to fail. What do I mean by that? We have, for example, interest rates that are all-time high. Housing's incredibly expensive. Jobs are expensive. You can't find accommodation. So our society is not helping us. I can talk lovely talk like this, mm. but in reality, just living in Melbourne, our society is not helping us to live a cohesive, slow-paced life. In Bhutan, they had, what was their, um, they called the happiness index. Gross national happiness. Yeah, yeah. We don't think about that here. That's not how we're measuring our successes in Australia. So maybe we just need to think about it. Sorry, the gentleman had his hand. Yeah, so uh, this might be a good point to actually throw it open to questions because I'm sure there are plenty. Can I just say one thing? Just uh, yeah, it's a brief response and then I'll take some um, questions, yeah. You know, in primitive times, um, cave people, um, you know, they lived a fairly relaxed life. You might be surprised. Um, they, you know, the stress was around an immediate danger. So, you know, there might be a wild animal <laughs> or, or something like that. But their cortisol levels, you know, were intermittent. And so in these days, we live with high cortisol adrenaline levels constantly. We don't even realise that. And so we've got no, no resilience when something comes along that you know, genuinely we need to work with. And a lot of that is caused by the digital input. And I just wonder whether, you know, just for maybe one hour a day, put the mobile phone out of reach. You know, we're primed, we take it to bed with us. You know, we're waiting for the ping of emails and the SMSs. You know, we're so on this hyper alert um, you know, we can't deal with anything. We, you know, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's changing our brain that yeah. we know that. It's that's actually right. literally changing our brain. And now a question from an audience member. I'm going to repeat the question to maintain confidentiality. The question is, how does religion contribute to social cohesion? Well, there's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I think religion will always be with us. You know, I think, I mean, now, of course, we're in this period where people are walking away from churches and mosques and temples and, you know, in the States, not as much, um, but certainly in, in Australia and uh, Britain and Canada and, and you know, other um, Western countries. Um, and quite substantially, um, the numbers of people who are identifying as religious um, in, in the census figures. Um, but at the same time, what we're learning is that these people are not necessarily, you know, they're not completely 
leaving their, their faith. No, they're leaving, they're not interested in the churches or the whatever, not interested in the, you know, the organised um, doctrine dogma. But, um, you know, we're spiritual beings and so there'll always be this need and, um, yeah, I think religion, in some way, uh, religion's a word, you know, it's, it's come through a particular kind of trajectory, but that, that you know, that need for something greater in a way, for some, you know, something that's beyond the everyday, that's not transactable, that you can't buy and sell in the marketplace. <laughs> I just um, say a few things on that as well. You're very right, America's very different to Australia mm. with regards to speaking about religion. Um, but just a point, um, people are actually, I don't know about the statistics with regards to other world religions, but statistically, Islam is actually the fastest growing religion. Yes, so people aren't, we're actually building more mosques yeah. and that's not meant to scare you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because people want, want to purpose. And maybe some people have a negative association with organized religions for whatever reason, and that I respect that. Um, other people find that it gives them direction, it gives them purpose. And with regards to what you said, with regards to social cohesion, the work that I have done in community for over three decades is all because of my faith values. The fact that I work with interfaith, the fact that I go out and do you know, charity work, the fact that I work with other community organizations, the fact that I'm on this panel, hmm. it, it's all informed from my faith. So I, as a person of faith, do believe when we practice our faith in a God-conscious manner, no matter what faith background that is, I do believe it adds value, and that's my personal experience. I'm from the transgender community. I'm a transgender advocate and advocate, and I'm also an active I'm practicing Buddhist, and I've tried over many, many uh, years to try and interest the broader queer community, but particularly the trans community in religion. And there's a truism that, that, that's in this, my community that religion's not for queer people and queer people aren't for religion. And that just seems to be so wrong. And uh, I just want uh, any uh, thoughts on how you Do break you know about Randy Lodi? Oh, yes, I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm a teaching. member. I don't I do worry. Don't worry. I am, I am comfortable in where I am with yeah. my religion and being queer. But so many queer people are seeking something more to help them. Yeah. And the, the incidence of mental ill health in my community and suicidality mm -hmm. even is through the roof. And, you know, I just yeah. don't quite know how to, how to influence that. Mm -hmm. So that's the question. Well, so how do I body came together really as a response to the LGBTQIA community reaching out. And um, yeah, that's now worldwide. You know, it started here in, in Sydney, actually. And several of us, we do, you know, we offer... Um, support and dharma, as the, you know, to that community. So it's a little bit. I know it's not, and I know, and I do have a very um, deep understanding of um, the suffering of your community. Yes, I, 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 yeah. more broadly than that, even though you know, well, I'm yeah, not necessarily I, Buddhism. Well, I, I feel like it's. I mean, I do think. I, I don't think any, anything's ever static, and I think we could say organised religion. We've needed to interrogate it. It's let us down in certain ways, and I'm always thinking, we all want to relate with something where we can see ourselves in the stories. Mm. And some religions, we need more creativity and we need more expansion. I think there's a movement to include more and more people in the sphere of 
contemplative practice. And I think it's the responsibility of teachers and people in leadership roles too, to, to be able to, again, co-mingle, keep talking, provide different spaces. It's like a lot of the stories, they are all very hetero. The stories get pretty boring, like, no, beautiful. I don't mean that, actually. I don't, I, no, I don't mean that because I, am, I, I don't mind calling myself religious. But I, I'm worried when there's someone in my audience that cannot locate themselves in that story. And I'm very interested in how you can, without watering it down, without diluting the depth of some message, but open it up so more people can find a home in contemplative practice. We're much more comfortable with this term spiritual, which we were talking about before, which also does presume something bigger than us, right? Um, so we're okay with that. We're okay that you know, there is something bigger than us out there, but religion, we're not so comfortable having that conversation in Australia, notwithstanding the fact that Islam is the fastest growing religion here. But you have to look at the history of that too. Uh, yeah, no, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had to interrogate, but Gerald Manane, do you know the writer? Yeah, I do know. He said, yeah. um, Australians, we'd, we'd be, you would all be so much more comfortable for me to speak about an illicit love affair than my firm belief in the afterlife. It, you know? <laughs> he's got notebooks it, that he's hidden. Oh, he's, true? Yes. He's a beautiful writer. Oh, uh, thanks to our panellists, mm. to Jess, to Sarah, to Sunim, uh, and thanks to a wonderful audience and to the Contemplative Study Centre. You've been listening to Brainwaves on 3CR Community Radio, and I've been your host, Nerida Lennon. And that's the end of the second and final episode from this two-part series. This and the previous episode can be found online for those who want to listen again at www.3cr.org.au forward slash brainwaves. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.